Thanks, Paul. Good morning. My name is Tim Hodge, and I am slightly taller than Paul. So I'm just going to move this up a bit. Only slightly, that's right. What is it that you are looking forward to? What is it that you greatly anticipate? Are you saving money to go on holiday to where there's a strange yellow thing in the sky? Are you counting down days to see your grandchildren, perhaps, who live far away? Are you striving to represent Great Britain at sport? That maybe shows my age, because I still have not given up on that. (laughs) What are you looking forward to? This is our third week in the Bible book of 2 Peter, a book we've discovered is all about the certainty of Scripture. We can trust what God has written to tell us in the Bible. Chapter 1 showed us that if we know the Scriptures, we can grow in Jesus. Darren Chandler helpfully took us through chapter 2 last week, all about making sure that we go the right way and not stray, because there are many in Peter's day, and ours too, sadly, who distort the Scriptures to their own end. And here in chapter 3, we have live out, don't doubt. Peter is still right to tell us that we can trust the Bible, and he does that through the lens of Jesus returning to earth. He writes encouraging us to look forward to the day when Jesus will return. Often we don't look forward to that day because there are many other days that we want to reach first. Yet Peter lovingly tells us just why, if we are Christians, we can look forward to the day of Jesus coming back to earth. And equally why that day, if you're not yet a Christian, is a day to be feared. So if you do have a Bible, find, uh, go to 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, near the end of uh, the New Testament. And if you have one of the church Bibles, I believe it's on page 1223. Uh, and if you'd like one, I'm sure if you put your hand up, one will magically appear. But this is uh, 2 Peter. So let's... Uh, if you can see that in a, in a, in a, on a page or on your phone um, as I read through, that will be helpful. This is 2 Peter chapter 3. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you, Peter writes. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will meet, uh, melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. I'll pray quickly uh, again, and then we'll work through our, our passage. Lord Jesus, thank you for all of 2 Peter, that we can be sure and certain of the things that you've written for us in the Bible. Thank you for 2 Peter 3 that gives us assurance that you are coming back to earth in the midst of the destruction. Help us to not only look forward to that day, but to be ready for it. Help those of us who are Christians to speak for Jesus and to live for Jesus so that friends and family and colleagues are also ready for the return of Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. So last week in chapter 2, it was quite a dark chapter. Uh, Chapter 1 wasn't as dark. Chapter 2 is quite dark. Chapter 3 is half light and half dark. One of the key words that you hear as I read that was destruction and destroy. But there's also a lot of warmth in the chapter. Live out, don't doubt is our title. And we'll look at don't doubt, first of all, verses 1 to 10. Don't doubt. If all of 2 Peter is about certainty in Scripture, why now do we talk of doubt? Isn't doubt bad? No. Doubt is not bad. If by doubt we mean questioning. In fact, I think questioning and asking God lots and lots of questions is a very, very good thing. Ask any question you like of God. He can certainly take it. He made us. He made our brains. So he's unlikely to be, any, any, he's unlikely to be stumped by any question our brains can think about. Now, I use the word doubt here in the, in the sense of, really? Like back in Genesis when the snake asked Adam, did God really? Say, it's more undermining. Peter's continuing from chapter 1, where he tells us that following Jesus is not a cleverly invented story, unlike the myths about Jesus peddled by the false teachers of chapter 2. And here in chapter 3, Peter again writes to remind his original readers and us of these things. Look at verse 1. Peter says he's written as a reminder to stimulate us to wholesome thinking. He continues in verse 2 in the same ilk. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the Holy Prophets, the Old Testament portion of the Bible, in other words, and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles, the New Testament portion 
of the Bible, he means. And verse 3, here's that undermining type of doubt that Peter warns us against. You must understand that in the last days, our days, in other words, scoffers will come. Scoffers. Such a wonderfully descriptive word, isn't it? Verse 3 guarantees that those who scoff at the idea, there will be those that scoff at the idea that Jesus will return to earth one day. And in verse 4, we hear the scoffing. Where is this so-called coming that he promised? Jesus said he was going to come back, but where is he? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. These scoffers say that everything goes on like it always has. No change. Nothing unusual, like Jesus returning or the destruction of the earth, will ever happen. In the last few years, there's been a rise in militant atheism. The likes of Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens. They seem to be actively out to get Christians. Do read The God Delusion uh, by Dawkins, or God is Not Great by Christopher Hitchens. See what they say. A couple of months back, um, what looks like a great book that I haven't read has been published called Atheism's New Clothes. It's blowing why Dawkins and, and the like are the emperor in the children's story, parading around in so-called new clothes when actually they're naked. Jesus won't return, they say. They are scoffers. In addition to the big names like Dawkins, who do you personally know who scoffs? Those who know that you're here at Sunday church and say, church, no thanks, that's for you. I don't need any Jesus in my life. Your colleagues, maybe. Or your spouse. Or your parents. They mock and they scoff anything you say about Jesus. Especially that ridiculous idea about Jesus coming back to earth again. Yet the scoffers of Peter's day and the scoffers of our day in verse 5 deliberately forget that God can and has intervened in the world in the past. In verse 5, Peter reminds us about creation. And in verse 6, about the flood in Noah's time. They are trying to cast doubt in our minds. Yet God can break in however and whenever he likes. It's part of being the definition of who God is. And, I suppose, one of the privileges. Everything God created was good. Since sin entered the world, it's become stained by sin. And it affects everything. Therefore... On the day that God will wrap up history, in verse 7, fire will come to destroy the ungodly. This will happen when Jesus returns. And in verse 8, Peter directly exhorts us uh, to not doubt, to remember who God is and what he'll do. Verse 8, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Some of you may know that I, um, when I'm not here in Gloucester, will normally live in New Zealand, and I live in a little town called Lincoln, um, named after another bigger town called Lincoln, not too far away from here. Uh, And Lincoln is near uh, Christchurch, which is the main city in the South Island of New Zealand. There's two main islands that live in the South, and Christchurch is the main city in the south. And uh, probably three quarters an hour bus ride away where I live is, is Christchurch. You may also uh, remember that being on the news over the last couple of years, we've had a few earthquakes um, uh, where we live, uh, which has been 
um, interesting, to say the least. Um, and everybody in the region has got some damage to where they live. It might be, like in our house, we've got you know, a few cracks in the ceiling, and we, we used to have a greenhouse. Uh, a few tiles have come off the, the roof. But pretty minor stuff compared to some people who haven't got a roof or haven't got walls. Um, you know, we've got walls and we've got a roof. Um, some people haven't got, um, haven't got any working sewerage, even now after a couple of years. Um, and we have, which is, which is great. Uh, New Zealand is always going to have a big earthquake. And apparently the, the experts say that the big one is still coming. You know, we haven't had the big one. We had one where 182 people sadly died, but that's not the big one. There is going to be a bigger one. Um, and 30 or 40 years ago, the New Zealand government they set up something called EQC, the Earthquake Commission, where everybody paid in through general taxation and through bits of private insurance, paid into a big pot. So that in the event of a big earthquake, um, you could use that pot, the money in that pot, to repair people's houses and roads and infrastructure. And it had been building and building and building for 30 or 40 years, and there was like quite a lot of money in that pot. Um, and now there's hardly any money in that pot because <laughs> it's all been used. Um, but as part of EQC, in the light of all the, uh, all the numerous earthquakes we've had and the aftershocks, uh, they've got a team of people going around every single house in the region, in, in our district, um, and there's about 400,000 people in our district, quite a lot of houses and, and, and offices, and they knock on the door and uh, they inspect the damage. So, oh, you've got a crack in your ceiling, you've got a few tiles off, that's uh, $200 worth of damage, or that's 2000 or that's 200000 uh, you need a new house, whatever it might be. And there's a team of people going around. And everybody in that region knows that EQC are going to come. But nobody knows when. All you know is that at some point, there will be a knock on the door from EQC, and they want to look around your house. They are definitely coming, because it's a government statute, but you've got no idea when. Some people have been waiting months. Some people have been waiting nearly two years, and they've not had a knock on the door. The knock on the door will come. And that's why EQC... Bizarrely, reminds me of this passage where Jesus returns to earth. We know that Jesus is going to return to earth. We don't know when. Could be today. Could be in two years. Could be in two millennia. Because um, God's timetable is not ours. Uh, verse 8. The Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. It's only been two days since he was last here. A couple of thousand years like two days to Jesus. Only been two days. So it might be another two, as in Tuesday. But it might be another two, as in the year 4012. We don't know. There are plenty through the ages who have tried to predict when Jesus will return. Yet it's not possible. We cannot predict exactly when Jesus will return. May the 21st, 2011 was a recent high-profile prediction of when Jesus would return by a gentleman by the name of Harold Camping in America. Jesus didn't come back on May 21st, 2011. I came across a book a while ago called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. Jesus didn't come back in 1988. Any prediction is futile because in verse 10, Jesus will come back, but like a thief. Suddenly, unexpectedly, it could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be millennia, we don't know. The scoffers say, Jesus won't come back, it's been too long. But Peter says in verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Might some understand slowness. No, he's, he's patient. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed and to miss out on meeting Jesus on his return, but all to come to repentance. 
If I asked who in this room wasn't a Christian five years ago, I'm sure that some hands would go up. More if we went back 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, 80 years. The Lord is patient. He's lovingly holding off, destroying this world so that many will repent of sin and turn to him. And if you're not a Christian this morning, it's a good chance to do that, to repent of your sin and turn to him. The Lord wants everyone to come to repentance. Absolutely none of us have any right to avoid God's destruction. It's perfectly acceptable for God to destroy the wicked. The bad news is that the category of wicked includes you and it includes I and it includes every single person who's ever lived with the exception of Jesus. What's surprising to me is not that God should should punish the ungodly, which is all of us and what we deserve. What's amazing to me is that by his grace he should choose to save some. That's remarkable. And the opportunity is available to all, says Peter in verse 9. That's why we need to be active in living for Jesus and speaking for Jesus in the communities and the workplaces in which he's placed us. We should want and work toward everyone coming to repentance. In verse 10, thinking about that image of a thief. I don't know if you've ever been burgled, but it's not never nice. It's always unexpected. In my final year when I was a student, the flat where I lived was burgled five times in a year. It was horrible. Um, We came home to discover a broken window and stuff missing. It was always a shock. Um, As the number of burglaries went up through the year, we realized it was more and more likely, but we were never prepared for it. In fact, the last time, I was really annoyed. They didn't even take anything. Just smashed the window, had a look around, nothing here. They've already stolen it. And, uh, and left. Always unexpected, though, thieves. It's the nature of a thief. Thieves are not like the Avon lady. The thief will never give a warning, never leave a card saying, sorry, you're out today. I'll be back to steal your stuff at a time more convenient to you. Maybe I can come around at 5 p.m. tomorrow. And if you've got your high profile and your high valuable items on the doorstep, that'll be great. Thanks. Thieves, thieves aren't like that. They come without warning. So too, says Peter, will Jesus. So it doesn't matter who says Jesus will come on that day, even if they work out some hidden clue in the Bible, it doesn't matter. They're false teachers, because here we're explicitly told that Jesus will return like a thief, suddenly, unexpected, without warning. All the way through his letter, Peter tells us of the certainty of the scriptures, and this is one way to be certain of Christ's return. He also tells us to live it out, verse 11 to 18. Live it out. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Verse 14, so then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Twice in these verses, Peter tells us to look forward, to anticipate, to welcome the return of Christ. Too often, I think, Those of us are Christians, we're scared of Christ's return. The idea of fire, of judgment, of destruction, in verse 12, well, that all sounds very scary. In the light of that, we should be motivated to live distinctly Christian lives, in verse 11 and verse 14. We're to look forward to an entirely new physical, material, new heaven and new earth. It's there in verse 13. There is the certainty of judgment, and it is scary. But it's not abstract, because it's Jesus who is the judge. 
Judgment by Jesus is not some inhumane, divine-style Guantanamo Bay affair. Now let's raise our eyes to Jesus. It's all about him. And he's the perfect judge. Some of our fear about judgment is the fear of miscarriages of, of justice. And Paul helpfully talked about justice earlier on. But Jesus is God. God is perfect. There's no appeals process because Jesus judges justly and perfectly. We look forward to Jesus returning and judging the living and the dead, all all we should do. We should welcome his return. Yet for many of us, we've got a list of things that we want to do before Jesus returns. We want to get married. We want to have kids. We want to retire. We want to go traveling. We want a new job. Whatever it is, we need to remind ourselves that we should look forward to the return of Jesus because it would be better than anything, anything else. Except I don't think we get it. Certainly I don't get it. I think we're too comfortable with our lives, but plenty of Christian brothers and sisters do get it. I've spoken with several who long, truly long, for Jesus to return and to be the just judge. Just a couple of stories about that. I met Focus Gender Heo a few years ago. Focus is Rwandan, and like me, he works with university students helping Christians to be missionaries on campus. Unlike me, he does that in Rwanda. He was telling me what it was like in the Rwandan genocide of 1994 when the minority, yet the powerful Tutsi, were hunted by the majority Hutu. In 100 days, 800,000 people were murdered. In the early days of the conflict, right at the beginning of it, Men with machetes ran into the Christian fellowship meeting at the University of Kigali and demanded to know who were Hutu and who were Tutsi. The Christians refused, saying, no, no, we're Christians first, and our ethnicity is second. Everybody in the room was hacked to death with machetes. Focus himself happened to be out of the country at the time. He was on a course in a neighboring university in Burundi. He returned after the killings to find all his family His siblings, his parents, his cousins, his uncles, his aunts, all killed. He found at the Christian fellowship that he was part of in his university. He was the only one. Everybody else had been murdered. Focus wants justice. He understands that Jesus returning to earth as a just judge is a very good thing, a thing to be welcomed and to look forward to. And consequently, he understands that he does not have to exact revenge. Because Jesus is the just judge. In fact, he, is a to- uh, he, as a Tutsi, has gone out of his way to employ and work alongside Hutu people as a demonstration of his trust that God is the one who will judge, not him. second story is more recent. According to the Barnabas Fund, which is a great work that gives hope and aid to the persecuted church around the world, just a few weeks ago, uh, an 11-year-old Christian girl by the name of Rimsha Massa from Mahadrabad, a district of Islamabad in Pakistan. She was detained by police, an 11-year-old girl. She was accused of burning pages of a booklet used to teach the Quran. Not the Quran itself, but a booklet to teach about the Quran. She was accused of burning it. She was arrested under Section 295B of the Pakistan Penal Code, which carries a life sentence for the desecration of the Quran. Uh, And after hundreds of protesters uh, blocked the Kashmir Highway, calling for action to be taken against her, Rimsha's mother and sister were also detained. The imam of the local mosque provoked calls for Rimsha to be handed over to the mob and publicly burned 
in the street. After Friday prayers, Muslim residents took an oath in the mosque, determined to drive Christians out of the area. The mullahs issued an ultimatum, giving Christians a month to leave the area. Muslim residents agreed that shopkeepers would refuse to sell groceries and other essentials to Christians, and that Muslim landlords would immediately end tenancy agreements with Christians. Some of the ousted Christians have gone to stay with relatives, while others others are being housed temporarily in church buildings elsewhere in Islamabad. So many Christians in that district are now homeless, with severely curtailed job prospects, and they've been refused service in the shops. Don't you think that they will look forward to the return of Jesus, knowing that he will come and will judge justly? We in the West are so deficient in this area of our theology. I don't think that I really look forward to the return of Jesus as I should. I and we are too content to play around and get sucked into materialism and self-centeredness. Come, Lord Jesus, please come. Dear friends, says Peter in verse 14, given that you are, or you should be, looking forward to his coming, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. He's living out the message of Jesus. This has got echoes of chapter 1 here. Yes, Jesus has saved us, and it's not of our own doing. But be, that being so, we should work at being godly. We should work at being godly. We don't work at being godly to be saved. Because we're saved, we work at being godly. In verse 15, Peter repeats that God is patient in his return to earth, and patience brings salvation. Paul the Apostle writes with godly wisdom, says Peter. In fact, in verse 16, he actually writes Scripture. Peter recognizes that Paul writes Scripture. He also says that Paul's writing, much of the New Testament, is hard to understand. Oh, that's so, so encouraging to me. Often I'll find part of the Bible hard to understand. Here's Peter, who's an apostle. He was a writer of the Bible himself, and he finds parts of the Bible hard to understand. Finally, in verse 17 and 18, we read about living out faith in Jesus by being on our guard. Here, Peter reminds us of the whole of chapter 2, that false teachers will be with us, so we need to be on our guard. There's there's plenty who, in verse 16 um, of chapter... Verse 16 of chapter 3, they're going to distort the scriptures, change them, warp them, distort. They are lawless, and they do not have a secure position. The antidote to that is, in verse 18, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This neatly bookends the whole letter. For at the beginning of chapter 1, we read, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of of Jesus our Lord. So 2 Peter is all about the certainty of the Scriptures. It's about being sure of the things that God tells us. Grow in Jesus because you know the Bible, says chapter 1. The warning of chapter 2 is to keep to the right way, not stray as plenty of false teachers will peddle you untruths about Jesus. And in chapter 3, Peter tells us that to counter the false teachers who introduce doubt, we need to live out a life in Jesus and to expect his return. We don't know if the day that Jesus returns will be before we fall asleep tonight. It could be. Or if it will be in thousands of years. could be. But we do know that the day will come. 
And all this certainty doesn't mean we doubt who God is and what he's done. It's good to question and evaluate. But it does mean that we can have an assurance about who Jesus is. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't have that assurance about who Jesus is, ask a Christian friend to explain more. It was great to take communion this morning because this is looking back to the work of Jesus on the cross. Taking communion today is one less time before he comes back. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we take Peter's words to us to heart. We know that there are plenty who scoff about your return. Help us to be gracious and prepared to answer those scoffers. We know too that there is certainty that you will come back and it will be sudden. Help us to be ready, we ask. We confess that for many of us, we don't look forward to your coming, either because we're not Christians or because we are Christians and we're just too comfortable here on earth. Save those here who aren't Christians, we ask. And for those of us who are Christians, give us an excitement and anticipation of your coming, knowing that being with you is better than anything else we look forward to. And finally, Jesus, we pray that we may be on our guard against those that scoff about you. We want to grow in the grace and knowledge of you. Thank you that your spirit does just that and has been doing that in our weeks in 2 Peter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.